I I absolutely detest being in in a college because I think that I should be doing better things and uh, my my DTC business in India is suffering and uh, I I wanted to go back uh so my second semester there right I was sitting Experts claim Gen Z adults are more financially sophisticated than any previous generation was at their age and history is a proof that some of the most successful young entrepreneurs started really young at the age of 19 parth with entrepreneurial dreams and a hunger for challenges built a multi-million dollar business in his home country India in just 3 years after an insightful conversation with his uncle in a new york bar parth managed to crack major deals with buyers across the globe Today Insignian is one of the biggest textile export houses in India and employs nearly 500 people. It has an annual turnover of 30 million dollars and aims to touch 150 million dollars in the next 5 years. Insignian is striking the right balance between centrality and distinctiveness in a market dominated by textile giants like Wellspun and Bombidine. The company has scaled new heights with a global reputation for quality, integrity, innovative and sustainable products. In the day and age of tough competition, entrepreneurs are taking the world by storm. Their ideas cross the boundaries of creativity and land into exponential business models. Welcome to Revoice, the voice of global supply chain. This is your host Bharvi Dasan and today we'll have a conversation with the director of Insignian, 24-year-old Parth Podar. Parth has single-handedly developed a phenomenally exciting business. and today insignian ranks as one of the top export houses across the country insignian is redefining affordable luxury in home textiles and is helping the world to sleep better a very warm welcome to the show part thank you barvi and thank you for the kind words <laughs> let's begin the conversation so i am extremely curious to know that how at the age of 24 you have created such an empire Uh, so bharvi i would love to take the credit for doing all of that but i i honestly can't hmm. um and you know we can get into this but insignian basically came about as a management buyout there existed a a global conglomerate that was doing many different businesses in the home category including um, utensils and kitchenware and uh, electronic appliances called bergner group uh based out of austria okay and uh, we had been running the textile uh, business as a division of the bergner group and then in 2019 um uh, a couple of equity investors and i we orchestrated a management buyout and took over that textile business and then migrated it into what today is insignian home okay so basically you have completely separated from what your family was doing No, no, it it wasn't a family business. Bergner was, uh, it wasn't my family. It was a global conglomerate based out of Austria, run by a couple of uh, Russian Georgian okay. uh, entrepreneurs. And uh, you know, I think the key to the success of Insignian, and I categorically hold this true for any business venture, isn't the promoter as much as it is the team. so we've been we've been very fortunate to have a team that has been driving insignian that has been growing our business and to be honest has been as concerned about what happens to insignian as i am um 
one of the things that we did right after we uh, after we bought out the business from Bergner is that we actually brought in a uh, a lot of people from one of the most professional conglomerates in the textile business okay. and I, I, I'm not going to name the company but uh, <laughs> we bought in a huge team that had worked there and they were able to bring in a lot of best practices they were able to bring in a very professional corporate culture and I think that's reflected in the way Insignian does things in the way Insignian has grown and most certainly in terms of Insignian's reputation with our clients, with our suppliers and generally every stakeholder that is part of our ecosystem. Right, I totally agree with your point on, you know, the teamwork and how a team actually puts a lot, like so much more effort to, to completely create a brand that goes out in the world. So, uh, like how did you always know that I want to join textile business or I just want to do a business? I I mean yeah I always actually knew that I wanted to to do some sort of business uh, and very interestingly I decided to go to a college in the US called Babson. Okay. So Babson is is a college that is known for entrepreneurship. They they happen to rank number one in the world for entrepreneurship studies. Okay. And uh, you know it was something that I decided I think in the eighth or ninth grade that. I want to be at Babson and get my degree from there. That's so nice. Uh, but in uh, in the weirdest of coincidences, I actually didn't get into Babson the first year I applied. Okay. And uh, being very sort of set on going to Babson, I didn't really bother applying anywhere else. <laughs> so, uh, okay. so, you know, that didn't work out uh, the way it should have. And uh, what I ended up doing is I took a gap year okay. and uh, start, tried to actually dabble into the D2C home textile business in that one year. I then got into Babson and I went to Babson the year after my gap year. And to continue that unfortunate coincidence, I realized after a semester at Babson that, listen, I don't want to be here. <laughs> I I absolutely detest being in in a college because I think that I should be doing better things and uh, my my D2C business in India is suffering and uh, I, I wanted to go back. Uh, so my second semester there, right, I was sitting with an uncle of mine who happens to be in the home textile business. He oh. manufactures towels. Okay. Um, and we were having a chat in a cigar bar in New York and he actually convinced me to join forces with Bergner and run their textile business or set up a textile business for them. And he explained to me that, listen, you're sitting with uh, or you're sitting in the country which has some of the best uh, uh, buyers and people with business acumen. It's the biggest market in the world for any product. And if you can set up a business out of the US, you know, you're going to end up developing skills that uh, no college is going to teach you. And this is not to uh, sort of berate any college education, but uh, uh, his value proposition was that, listen, if you know, you develop these skills and uh, you realize that this is not what you want to do five years later, you can walk away having created a business and having acquired those skills because I mean at the time I was 
18 or 19 and uh, he said that you know at your age 5 years makes no difference so if you lose 5 years to gain skills doesn't matter and uh, that made sense to me so i jumped in with both my feet into the textile business he made some introductions and that's how we started off but then did you quit your college or you continued as a distance learning how did you manage then how did you balance the both things so uh, so the thing is college wasn't hard right the reason the reason that i didn't uh, resonate with that college experience was mm-hmm. that i felt i wasn't being challenged enough okay. and uh, i think this is also somewhere that i have to uh, give a shout out to my school so uh, so the high school that i went to i'm taking a quick segue here but the high school that i went to a uh, school called cathedral yeah. in in fort right. and um, i think something that i realized in hindsight and i may not have at the time i was in school mm-hmm. like any typical teenager is that the intense discipline and workload that cathedral uh, put me through and pretty much put all of us through Uh, especially in the last four years of of high school, right, uh, nine through the twelfth, yeah. uh, it just set us up for life in such a way that you know those of us who took who took away learnings from it, I think we're all very disciplined and we find uh, you know we we find that we thrive in challenging situations. It's 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 actually boring or mundane for us to end up in a situation where we're not being challenged and. But I think this actually happens with convent schools. So even I went to a convent that they do put you in a in a space where you are challenged every minute. But somehow I believe that you know formal education, like your your education post your high school, it also plays a very significant role in shaping the person who you become maybe in your early twenties. So I don't you think that way? Like the formal education does play a role. No, no, I I absolutely agree. But uh, the reason I was talking about my high school is that it set me up. to be somebody who wanted to be constantly challenged right. and because of that college seemed like a breeze mm-hmm. so when i took on this role of business i didn't drop out of college i did okay. consider it to be okay. honest with you mm-hmm. but i'm not mark zuckerberg or steve jobs <laughs> so i didn't i didn't do that uh, what i ended up doing is i transferred to a college that um, you know that valued my sort of academic performance more than my physical attendance in class right and um U- university of massachusetts umass mm-hmm. and um, i continued to do my degree while also working on the business so okay. it was it was a very grueling two years but uh, or rather grueling three years nearly and uh, we got through it i i managed to get my degree so i i did get a bachelor's of science in entrepreneurship okay uh i actually even graduated with latin honors oh, nice. and uh i simultaneously also built up the business that that's that's so inspiring very nice um uh, i i like i want to know more about how you managed to you know pull in a lot of more buyers in us like how did you do that so uh, so like i said you know that that one conversation in the sigaba my uncle um, runs a large towel company he introduced me to a lot of buyers okay and uh, that sort of started it off and i think uh, what we at insignian or what we have been doing since our burgner days is we've 
we've tried to cross market to the best of our abilities so what that means is you know we were able to get introductions to a huge host of branded portfolios uh like nautica like laura ashley um like ugg okay uh and because of that you know that obviously one drove business on a quicker basis mm-hmm. but what that also did is it gave us a fantastic calling card with other buyers so we uh, you know through trade fairs through um through something called market week which is something that happens for our industry in the US where we showcase our products right. we were able to get into the door with a lot more retailers and buyers and just having that branded portfolio as a calling card to tell them that you know listen we're supplying to some of the leading brands in the world uh really helped us to scale up our business with the other retailers and with newer buyers and just sort of keep building up building up our business from there uh it also got to a point where i think 3 years in or 2 and a half years in we started to actually get calls from uh sourcing offices and buying offices of different retailers because uh they had heard of us or they had seen our product on a shelf somewhere in a retail store and i'm guessing they liked what they saw and they you know they wanted to explore how we can work together this conversation with your uncle seems like the right push at the absolutely right absolutely. time absolutely i um, i still credit him for uh, uh whatever we've achieved uh, i think up until here and whatever we'll achieve going forward and definitely anything that i've done in the business world i think the credit goes to him that's so nice that's so nice So like coming back to your operations here in India like currently the fuel prices the cotton prices are literally skyrocketing so has this affected your operations lately Absolutely I think uh you know operationally if you were to look at it in terms of microeconomics insignian much like anybody else is facing a situation where because you know so uh very quickly we make home textile products right and uh the price elastic elasticity on this product isn't huge right i mean mm-hmm. if prices go up there's there's a limited amount of product that us a retailer or a brand can sell to the final consumer okay. and microeconomically the price of fuel uh the price of cotton um the price of chemicals the price of coal all of these have gone up very drastically and these are all inputs that dire- directly affect our price so and simultaneously the prices of labor as well the like prices of labor cost uh, to be honest with you the prices of labor have gone up but uh, uh, they've settled down again at an acceptable level okay. and um, you know i've been because this is something that is affecting business throughout uh, i have been looking at this right and uh, uh, i've spent a considerable amount of time thinking about what's been happening since the pandemic So if we go back to the lockdown in 2020 the problem started as downstream as possible which is at the last leg of the production process which is uh, garmenting or cmt as we call it which is basically okay. the stitching quilting packing embroidery of goods okay. and physically the shipping out of goods through trucks and freight and things like that right so the product uh, so the problems started really downstream and as time went on it kept moving up upstream right okay. so labor managed to settle down once the migrant labor crisis eased mm-hmm. uh freight prices went up right so freight prices went up from say 2500 dollars a container on average 
to a peak of $12,500 for that same container to the same destination. Uh, and then it settled down, right? It settled down to the between the ten thousand to twelve thousand dollar range. But how much time uh, did it take? It took it took around so it went up really quickly, right? right. In six months, it was at around ten thousand yeah, dollars. Yeah, yeah. But then it settled down. It settled down after that. It oscillated by fifteen to twenty percent. Okay. And you know there was a time when fifteen to twenty percent was a make or break for an order, but. When you're talking about prices going up 4x, hmm. 15%, 20% is something that people sort of learn to live with. And this was on the back of really strong demand because in COVID, when India shut down, right. uh, retailers had no goods. Mm-hmm. So they really needed goods and uh, people were buying goods at whatever price. So they were, they were willing to pay for the extra freight. Okay. Now that ushered in a new normal on freight. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, we were able to navigate that situation. And then the problem kept moving upstream. So in in the case of our business, that's processing, which is sort of the next level upstream. Right. Uh, chemicals started to go up. Coal started to go up. Now that lasted for three or four months. Coal continues to go up, of course. But again, there was sort of a stability in that. It then moved more upstream uh, towards yarn production. Yeah. And uh, the prices of yarn, which is which is actually a commodity, started to drastically increase. And it's, I think it's still continued. No, so 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 now here's where the trade-off happened, right? Cotton prices remain stable now. If you look at uh, November and December of 2020, hmm. cotton prices hadn't drastically gone up. They were at stable levels, and in fact, in January they were below. Uh, 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 they were sort of below pre-pandemic levels. But yarn prices kept going up uh, despite softer cotton prices. And, uh, you know, that lasted for six to eight months. Then there came a time when it sort of moved up to the final uh, upstream yeah, level, which is cotton. cotton uh, October game, 2021, yeah. December 2021. And it continues to happen until now, yes. which is why cotton is going up. So, for example, a Shankar 6 candy of cotton, which is around 356 kilos, uh, pre-pandemic was around 25 to 28,000 rupees a candy. Uh, it went up on its peak to well over 100,000 rupees. So, again, you're talking about a 4x kind mm-hmm. of a situation where uh, prices went up drastically. Now, obviously, on the uh, microeconomic level, uh, demand falls when prices go up uh, the way they have right. and that has been a challenge not just for insignia but for the entire industry right. i think that has you know we we as an industry were very fortunate the the post pandemic or the post lockdown days mm-hmm. were some of the best days that our industry had because okay. demand was strong and even though we were losing money somewhere along the supply chain our capacities were well utilized which obviously wasn't the case for a lot of other businesses um, such as restaurants, flights, hotels, yeah. uh, things like that. Um, but now we've come to that situation where, you know, we're in a little bit of pain. We're trying to rationalize cost, we're cost cutting, we're trying to bring in substitutes to cotton with new age fibers like Lyocell. Uh, we're using, I think, a lot more polyester, okay. uh, but sustainable polyester, like recycled polyester, biodegradable polyester. So I think, you know, those fibers have uh, got a chance to leap light years ahead because of this cotton price increase. Mm -hmm. Um, And I still think that on a macroeconomic level, 
you know there's a problem uh, or there's a cause of concern that transcends any industry in general right. so macroeconomically the price of energy and food have gone up to such an extent that uh, countries like the US um, like Europe um, you know they're they're struggling uh, to be able to allocate any uh, wallet share to to something other than these two products i think this is also accounts to as a aftermath of russia and ukraine war we can see that happening in sri lanka and i don't know how far is india from that state right now but but this can be like one of the future aspects for us also what exactly is happening currently in sri lanka here's some information for our listeners sri lanka is facing the worst economic crisis since its independence a severe shortage of foreign currency has left the government unable to pay for essential imports including fuel leading to debilitating power cuts lasting up to 13 hours and skyrocketing prices of essential commodities this happened after the country steeply devalued its currency last month ahead of talks with international monetary fund for a loan program this can be like one of the future aspects for us also what exactly is happening currently in sri lanka to be honest with you i don't think uh, you know i well, don't maybe not on uh, of course not on that level because of, they had a lot more reasons for what is happening like the economic distress that they are facing but with rising costs across the fields from from raw materials to labor to shipping to your fuel and everything like this can be this can be if it's not tapped at the right time so you know to be to be completely honest with you i like anybody hate paying higher prices for fuel but i think that what the indian government has done with increasing the you know the tax component on fuel especially at the pandemic level when it was really low crude oil was really low right has actually saved us from a lot of economic hardship as a country because india has already paid for uh, sort of mitigating a recession as a country and you know as much as we may dislike it mm. i'm sure we would all hate to be in a situation like sri lanka Definitely. so it's 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 much better to be in a situation where we're having to cut down and rationalize expenses and maybe battle uh, 10 to 15% of inflation rather than having to battle 35% of overnight inflation so i think you know we've staggered it we've paid for it and we're in a better place as a country uh, and that in the long term is probably going to help us uh, reap in a lot more benefits uh, than some of our neighbors are going to be able to so padai so you have definitely thrown light on the challenges you are facing as a manufacturer but what are the challenges that you face as an exporter in today's india you know i think uh, as an exporter one of the biggest challenges that we face is that while the government is very Uh, you know very keen to exp- uh, to sort of promote exports and um, they've given targets that keep increasing in magnitude right and uh, i think in a proud moment for all exporters we actually achieved the indian government mandated export target uh, nearly 25 days before the financial year ended right uh, so we ended up crossing the export target right and uh, You know, I'm that, talking about the four hundred billion dollars. Yes, yeah, yes, of course. Yes. yes. Here's some information for our listeners. India achieved its ambitious target of exports worth four hundred billion dollars in March 2022. Prime Minister Narendra Modi termed the achievement a milestone in country's journey towards self-reliance. 
The previous best was $331 billion, which was achieved in 2018-19. The government has attributed the achievement to the Make in India push. Are you talking about the $400 billion? Yes. Yeah, yes. of course. Yes. yes. Um, and you know, that, that obviously goes to show that the government is working to promote exports and India is um, at some level a windfall uh, gainer from things that are affecting China and Pakistan okay. and even Sri Lanka as sort of favoured export destinations. Definitely. Uh, and mostly for sure def- the textile imports. Correct. Textile exports. Correct. I think, you know, I think that we are, we stand to benefit, but there are a couple of things or maybe three or four things that the government could do to help expedite this process. Um, I know that a big pain point for a lot of exporters is that GST is a big burden on the cash flow, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, GST refunds take time to process and the government has been fantastic in uh, improving that system and uh, getting things on track. But, uh, you know, I think the the quicker and the better that that progresses is just going to be a little bit easier for exporters. And the government has announced PLI schemes for man-made fibers, uh, which I think is going to end up giving a huge boost to the export industry, especially because, um, uh, you know, uh, China was the favored destination for man-made fiber exports. And a lot of people around the world, especially the US, have started to understand that they need to deleverage their risk out of China because, uh, you know, because there are certain concerns with, uh, with product coming out of China in terms of delays and in terms of price increases and things like that. So they're looking at India and I think if the government can further help, uh, support Indian exporters on their capital subsidies, on their, uh, on their labor subsidies, which they have a lot of things in place for. Uh, So I think those schemes are definitely a great step in the right direction. And just sort of going further down that path is definitely going to help the Indian exporters become more competitive. I'm obviously talking in terms of our industry, because then that's that's something that I'm better versed with. Um, So so that's something. And I think the government has started to review labor laws. Now, you know, I don't, um, I don't for a minute mean that exporters want to exploit the labor, but uh, a lot of states in India, uh, you know, have very archaic labor laws that date back to the British times. Right. And I think the government is cognizant of this fact and they have started to, uh, to update our labor laws and they're update, you know, they're updating these labor laws by understanding our cultural paradigm and also understanding how to make it mutually beneficial for uh, for the labor and for the sort of the exporter or the industrialist and i think that is something that uh, we sort of dropped the ball on in the last 50 or 75 years but it's great to see that the government is doing this now and anything they can do to speed this up is again going to really help push the Indian export industry to be more competitive globally because uh, the truth of the matter is that, you know, as people were simply not as efficient as the Chinese labor or the Vietnamese labor and just being able to uh, sort of write the balance and the laws here are probably going to help us 
to be able to get our efficiencies to that level i also want to add another point of uh, how the cancellation of import duties have helped you Here's some information for our listeners. The Finance Ministry in April announced that the import of cotton will be fully exempted from the custom duty. The notification came into effect on April 14 and will remain in force up to September 30. Earlier the import of cotton attracted a 5% basic customs duty and another 5% agricultural infrastructure development cess. How the cancellation of import duties have helped you? so the government uh, you know basically they've cancelled import duty on uh, the import of uh, on the import of yarn yeah. and basically you know it's the problem is that this 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 ban is in place till september right now a lot of cotton that had to be shipped out mm-hmm. has already been shipped out before the ban came into play and a lot of the cotton that is going to be shipped out okay. by the time it comes in will have crossed uh you know will have sort of crossed the period of the ban okay so okay. you know the uh i think the limit uh, the sort of the uh, let's just say that the effect of the duty may not directly impact pricing as much as uh, it should have but uh, what it very clearly uh, helps enforce is that the government has a stance that they don't want to promote the uh, you know the export of intermediate goods because that doesn't generate as much employment right. and it obviously doesn't bring in as much as much export revenue uh, as much as exporting finished goods does okay. so i think the government has reinforced their view which uh, economically financially and um, socially in terms of all three of those schools of thoughts makes a lot of sense because as a government we obviously want to promote uh, maximum employment and maximum export revenue and forex earnings and uh, finished goods are the way to achieve that and they've they've reinstated their commitment to that view which i think is is going to help right the sort of the atmosphere in the industry right right so but actually let's dive deeper into your business I am sure as a business there have been plenty of failures right there have been times when like challenging times so how do you how do you find yourself out of those times like how do you face these challenges for yourself you know i think uh th- so this was actually um uh, said to me by by one of my trekking buddies and we we have a we have a trekking group that goes for treks on weekends mm-hmm. so in mumbai uh, outside of mumbai palghar and uh, okay Mathiran and things like that. Okay. So you know, one of them, one of them told me, um, much more experienced than me about I think, uh, north of his fifties, okay. and he saw that I was very worried about uh, about a business thing, right? So, you know, as a, as an entrepreneur, your mind is running twenty four seven. You're thinking about your business, whether you're on a trek up a mountain or <laughs> you're sitting in office, and uh, you know. good friend he picked up on it and he he asked me what the problem was and i generally told him that you know business related stress and things like that and um, he said something to me which i've uh, tried to uh, think upon every time i'm in a situation where i'm stressed he said that the thing that sets an entrepreneur apart from everyone else is that you're going to have stress and you're going to have more stress than anybody else in your organization but it is your job and your responsibility as an entrepreneur to handle it 
and if you consider yourself a successful entrepreneur you can't not handle stress so you know i think in in essence he explained to me that listen this is it's part of the job and if you want to do this job and you want to do it for the next 50 60 years you're going you're going to have to learn how to deal with it but i think sometimes the most you know the most inspirational words i i definitely agree to every word that you have said the most inspirational words also you know sort of not help you pull out of that dark hole that you enter in while stressing out so like for me for like just for my example i moved to mumbai 2 months ago and for the first month i just kept absorbing the city and every i knew that i made that decision for myself i wanted to live this life that i have planned but yet while i was in that moment i still couldn't forget a lot of things going in my head right. so you do have those sleepless nights and i think sometimes these inspirational words do not help so then what's that moment that you choose to do so so for me like i think one of the things that i love doing just in terms of getting my head away from things hmm. is i actually like to go on long drives oh, so nice. that's so that's a practice that i follow uh, you know late night or early morning drives when i'm really stressed and um, i've also found that just you know things that occupy your concentration for shorter periods of time can help you deal with stress better so you know for some people that's watching a show on netflix um i like playing games on the ps uh, to de-stress as well um i i do those weekend getaways like treks and things like that i think okay. those those generally How often help is your getaway i you know in the monsoons we try to we try to get in a trek at least twice a month so it's it's a, it's a day trek right we go in the morning early in the morning and we're back late in the evening okay. so at least try to do that twice a month um i've generally um as a person always try to pick a bunch of hobbies that i mm. uh, dabble in and out of uh, i picked up sailing at some point so i actually went and got certified as a sailor oh, hey, nice. uh i picked up aero modeling uh, when i was a kid so used to do that on the weekends to get away from it all um used to play basketball for for the school and the district okay. so that's still something that i find very relaxing and um i think generally as an you know as an entrepreneur and as a person uh living in society it's also important to have friends and family around who uh, you know who you can turn to when you're stressed and you can just talk to people right so i make it a point to try and meet my friends at least once or twice a week on on the weekend and uh you know i think that just letting off that steam meeting people talking to them understanding what's going on in their lives what's going on in your life it just puts things in perspective and obviously distracts you so these friends are from your school or from your college uh they're from various places actually a lot of friends are from school a lot of friends are people that i ended up meeting socially for business or okay. for for a function or for treks and okay. then you just sort of ended up becoming friends and you've stuck together and uh i think that relationship has grown So I think coming back to what your business is, uh, you told me that you have a lot of buyers overseas, right? So where has Insignian taken you for your work? Like where all have you traveled in the world so far? So, so we're an export company, right? And uh, all of our buyers are overseas. So I think uh, it's it's just been a lot of running around. 
the way we used to look at it is that I was actually out of the country 10 to 15 days a month before the pandemic. Okay. Uh, but uh, post the pandemic, a lot of those meetings are being done on Zoom and Teams and things like that. Okay. And, uh, you know, that's taught us that, hey, life goes on no matter what happens and uh, you find a, a way as a business to exist. Uh, but to answer your question, uh, been to a bunch of cities in the US on business and of course when I was studying there, uh, Canada, Mexico, okay. um, the Netherlands, Germany, Switzerland, Norway, Finland, uh, uh, Dubai, uh, Australia, New Zealand, uh, I think... Uh, yeah, actually, a lot of a lot of the countries around. And most of them have been for your work, not for leisure. Yes, all of them actually have been for work. Uh, I try to I try to squeeze in maybe a day or two of a leisure trip in with my work, but uh, because uh, you know because work entails so much of traveling, mm-hmm. I try not to <laughs> not to sort of make a trip that's only for uh, for no only for a holiday because i get enough of that traveling and enough hours on flights otherwise <laughs> nice so do you want to throw some light on what is india's competitive edge in export world and like especially in the textile arena so i think uh, i think generally in the export world india is considered to be a relatively stable sourcing destination you know we're we're geopolitically stable uh we we've not really had a major crisis uh in the last 10 odd years you know we okay we're having price increasing uh, in every commodity now but then pretty much every country is experiencing that okay. uh we we have stable power which isn't the situation for a lot of our our neighboring countries uh generally as a country our image is also one uh, of you know of a country that's going to deliver what was promised we're not you know we're not looked at as a country where we're going to try to pass off something subvertly we're not looked at as a country where labor rights are a big problem um like majorly the crisis we are facing is what everybody across the world is yes, facing either yeah. is because of the pandemic or because of the ongoing war correct so that is still but you know think about it our neighbors like like Pakistan and Sri Lanka hmm. and this is something that's in the press so it's you know right. it's not subject to speculation but both of them are facing an economic crisis in some way shape or form right. uh, Bangladesh has had um, issues in the recent past even uh, you know as recently as 2013-14 hmm. with the Ranka Plaza collapse which right. really dented their image as a <clears throat> as a destination for exports here's some information for our listeners In 2013, a garment factory in Dhaka collapsed, killing more than 1,100 workers and injuring several more. This was the deadliest disaster in the history of the clothing manufacturing industry. The Rana Plaza building was known to have been built with substandard materials under faulty conditions. Yet the factory remained very active up until the day of the deadly collapse. So, you know, India has largely been free from all of that and we've continued to build up our strength as an export based destination so we we definitely have the reputation the stability and the recognition world over to give us a competitive edge uh i think something that we've we've lacked is our free trade agreements um with europe and uh 
any other country really in particular which our neighbor pakistan has had with europe for the longest time europe and bangladesh <coughs> but uh, our government has started to rectify that and i think uh, you yes, know kudos yeah UAE kudos to them to Australia. to understand this is a pain point we've already signed one with the uae we we've signed one with australia which uh, is supposed to be in effect from the end of this year right. Right. i think uk and europe uh, are not too far behind i think mr peace i think i think with the filing uh, these uh, free trade agreements this is definitely is going to act as a catalyst to you know find, sign more agreements with the uk uk and us Well I don't you know I don't know if the US does free trade agreements I mean they only have one with Mexico hmm. which uh, geographically makes sense but uh definitely Europe and the UK because uh in our product they have a 10% import duty okay. and Pakistan and Bangladesh uh, are not subject to that duty whereas Indian goods are so if you actually quote the same price you're still 10% uncompetitive as compared to the neighbors and Ten percent is a huge amount when you're talking volumes. Right, right, right. Got it. Uh, so, uh, where do you see the global realignment in, say, supply chain heading to? Like, do you see any clear winners or any clear losers? I think, you know, I don't know if losers the correct term to use here, but I do think that China is going to feel a pinch from business leaving. Um, there have been a huge host of retailers, especially in our business. that have gone ahead and communicated that they would like to source from india hmm, right. you know they've not they've not used the word alternate sourcing destinations they have very clearly used the word india which shows that india does stand to win a lot of business if we can get this pricing situation in control okay. uh, and you know we can deliver as a country we're capable of delivering we have capacity we have capital so we have all of those facets lined up if we can just get this pricing stability uh to come into place we can definitely be uh, somebody who takes up a lot of business from uh from our neighboring countries and you know the largest retailer in the world walmart hmm. they very clearly their ceo has very clearly given a mandate that they want to increase sourcing uh from india to the tune of 10 billion dollars a year okay. which is a huge number right. and uh you know i think that as a country we've we've understood that there is a lot to win if we can sort of pull up our socks and really get out there and uh, be aggressive and a lot of a lot of exporters are working on that a lot of opportunities that didn't come to our tables uh because china very clearly was the competitive winner there have started to come to our table um and i think generally uh what i've been reading is that bangladesh too is a as an exporter had to route a lot of their containers through colombo right. uh which obviously is causing delays now so that is something that india should probably capitalize on and try to grab a larger market share in that business as well yeah this is the like the right time to tap the opportunity correct and that you know that being said uh anything that we can do to uh improve india's connectivity on the east coast is going to help because we also invariably end up doing a lot of transshipments via colombo uh, that's the biggest port that you have access to from the east part of india so just you know generally getting better vessel connectivity or maybe setting up one of our ports to be a transshipment hub for shipments uh, from bangladesh and india can probably really help drive export business for india too right absolutely absolutely 
So where do you see or where do you wish to see Insignia in the future? I think with Insignia in terms of you know if if we talk numbers we're very clearly targeting um a 150 million dollar revenue in under 5 years. Okay. And we you know we want to continue to stick to our strengths which is to be a flexible adaptable design and consumer oriented uh manufacturing company right. uh we operate in a space that we like to call affordable luxury so that comes from the idea that luxury doesn't need to be expensive and everything that's affordable doesn't need to be terrible right. uh so we want to continue to sort of play in that space and uh i think generally uh get to the point where we're recognized as one of the leaders uh of what makes india great as an export sourcing destination so currently what is the company's position so current uh so currently we're doing around uh 35 million dollars in exports okay and uh we've you know we've continued to maintain our flexibility our agility and uh we have a great team like we discussed at the beginning of the podcast so i right. think uh you know i think we have the runway lined up to take the company to the target that we want to get at right so this is like how we are coming at the end but i have a very interesting question it's like a rap- rapid question that we have so let's go vada pav or burger Ooh, interesting i think burger bombay or mumbai bombay as yeah. long as i don't get internet <laughs> problem for that beer or whiskey non cigars okay favorite car oh you asking a car guy his favorite car so uh, it would have to be the sls amg okay bollywood or hollywood hollywood so what's your pet peeve uh very interesting i actually don't really have a pet peeve how can you not have a pet peeve everybody don't, has a pet peeve don't have a pet peeve really it's I think I think honestly it's it's not really a pet peeve but I think it's more of a characteristic I don't and this is you know this is not something that I'm promoting for for businessmen but I really am very impatient so it's it's very difficult for me to wait for things to fall in place or just wait for something to come through I need like a result immediately and uh, many times in life that's not possible right movies or series series So I think this is like uh, going to be the second last question. So tell us how your working with Revoy has been. So we actually started working with Revoy I think right from the onset when the company when Revoy was set up. Yes. Uh and that no Nishan who's one of the co-founders since before uh before Revoy before he set up Revoy and uh you know I've I found their service to be professional and quick. Uh they've i think factoring which which is their main business has definitely been something that has been really helpful for us especially just post the pandemic because uh you know clients need credit and credit is the hallmark of any b2b business absolutely and being able to better manage our cash flows uh and mitigate risk as an exporter is something that really helps us to be more aggressive with who we're pushing to and uh just the volume or pace at which we can grow right so th- before i say goodbye to listeners and you so what is the message that you want to give to all the young entrepreneurs 
I think certainly business at your age and on this level has been very inspiring. Thank you. Um, you know, I think, I think what I want to tell most entrepreneurs out there, and this might hold true especially today because it's not you know it's not an easy time for anybody. Right. But I think what I want to say is that if you have an idea that you believe in, you need to stick with that idea and you need to see it through. Uh, you know, it's not going to be an easy journey. but you got to remember that the destination is going to be worth it and no big business or no successful business was built by taking the easy path because nothing worth doing is easy so stick to your guns and believe in the destination and i'm sure you'll get there thank you so much pat for your time it has been a great conversation thank you my pleasure and uh, i think all the best to everyone who's listening <laughs> definitely